you are listening to the Living Inside Out podcast, and I'm your host, Tox Aroturi. This is episode 31. Thank you for tuning in to the Living Inside Out podcast, where we do not blame our circumstances. We take charge. Episode 31 is New Beginnings. It's all in your hands. Happy New Year. Yes, I know it's March. (laughs) But welcome to the first episode of 2021. I have mixed feelings saying March 2021 because I cannot believe it's been that long. I can't believe that this year has come so far already. And I'm thankful amongst so many other emotions. I'm just so thankful that we're here. You're here listening and you're alive and well. And I'm here recording on the other side and I'm alive and well after 2020. And well, let's face it, the first part of 2021. How have you been? So much has happened, right? Well, this week, the UK government laid out a plan with dates toward businesses reopening and society gaining a semblance of normalcy. I think personally that they are going to have to gently release me back into society because I don't know how to get into my car and drive up to work every day. Mm -mm. I've forgotten. How about you? How is the pandemic situation where you are? Listen, I checked for the first time and counted and found that the Living Inside Out podcast has listeners in 38 countries. Seriously, including Israel and Brazil and the Philippines. (laughs) What? That made me sit up. You know, I thought, talks, no more playing around. This is real. God's people in Israel are listening to you. But thank you so much for for tuning in from wherever you're tuning in. It is such a trip for me to uh, still have listeners. We are coming up to month number nine, I think, of this podcast. Can't believe it's been nine months. I have missed you. I have. And Although I am physically back in the UK because I was in Nigeria for two weeks, I'm recording this mentally, (laughs) mentally I'm recording this in Lagos, Nigeria, where believe me, I lived my best life. I came back last week and I jokingly said to my husband that um, when, when I was over there and I spoke to him over the phone and I said, I'm living my best life. And he was like, So your best life doesn't include the boys and I, eh? (laughs) Well, here's the thing. Lagos is life. My holiday was supposed to be four days. Then I found out I couldn't stay for four days because I needed to get COVID tested on day seven. So I extended it to eight days. And I'm going to tell you why I was aiming for a four-day holiday especially being a Nigerian girl with her parents living in Nigeria and her family in Nigeria as well. I'll tell you in a minute. 
but my mom turned 80. Thank you, Jesus. And of course, we couldn't mark it in a big way due to the pandemic. So we decided to make it as meaningful and special as we could. And my brothers and sister-in-law and I hatched a plan. The plan was that I would visit to surprise her, but keep her, obviously keep it a secret if it was going to be a surprise. Keep it a secret and surprise her on the morning of her birthday. And we did. And I want to share some clips of her reaction. Everybody! Where is the birthday? I was in London. No, I was in London. I was here. Hello, Tug. Hey, Tony. Welcome. Thank you. Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> They've been planning against you. All of Honest, one of you. Are you serious? <laughs> My dad is. <laughs> No, no, no. Don't just give your dad heart attack. You're so surprised. God bless. Hello. Both parents were overjoyed. My mom was the one going. Otio, which means no. And my dad was like, what happened? As though I can only show up when stuff has happened. <laughs> but we went to church and a few of my parents' friends and friends, four of their close friends and family came home with us for lunch. And we later went out for a private dinner where we poured words of love and affirmation over my mom. At the end of the day, we played a collection of over 30 video messages to her and they were all such wonderful words of appreciation. The lesson I learned from that was, well, two lessons. One, give her her flowers while she can still smell them. And the second one was, things don't have to be huge or big to be meaningful this was by far the smallest 80th birthday party ever because it consisted only of her children and some of her grandchildren, end of story, and her, her, her daughter-in-law. End of story, that's where it ended, but it was the most meaningful get-together we could have pulled together. And I'm just so thankful that we were able to do that. And so with regards to why I was reluctant, <laughs> why I was reluctant to spend more than four days. I left London on the back of the second strain of the coronavirus, as well as Brexit, um, which we have a shipment that has been stuck in Europe since uh, December the 18th. And it's been coming up to three months just to get it over because of Brexit. So if you voted to leave the EU, I have some words for you, but I'm going to save them. I'm not going to say a word. But anyway, it was on the back of that. So I'm thinking there is a pandemic. Um, there is now a second strain. Um, people, okay, well, the reason the shipment was stuck was not because of Brexit initially. It was because uh, France had closed their border uh, to the UK. So 
there was not a lot of movement going going between France and England, and then it got caught in Brexit and all of the paperwork and the customs and everything. And shippers were were reluctant to bring it over because uh, they were just uncertain of you know how things were going to turn out. Nobody knew what was going on. But anyway, anyway, that was all on my mind. The pandemic was on my mind. The second strain of the virus was on my mind, and I had no idea how. Nigeria was dealing with the pandemic. You know, I didn't know how safe I was going to be. I didn't know how careful people were being. And I just felt that I was leaving the safety of my home and just going. And I didn't know what was going to happen. So that was one reason. The second reason I was reluctant to stay uh, for more than four days was because my recollection of my last trip had kind of altered. (laughs) So the last time I was in Nigeria was two years ago when my father turned 80. Thank you, Lord. And it was, for the most part, a very enjoyable holiday. I was there for 10 days. I spent uh, half the time in Lagos and the other half in Abuja, where I stayed. I had attended a reunion with my secondary school classmates, I found that at the time that the best friends, the most meaningful, deepest friendships are the ones that are are formed in childhood because the bond is so strong. It was formed at a time where there was no cynicism um, in our lives as young children and we hadn't experienced life as we know it now. And so there's a lot of trust and a lot of genuine love between my classmates and I. And so that was fun. The not so fun part about that trip two years ago was the fact that I traveled with KLM and they misplaced my two pieces of luggage, which also had the souvenirs of like 300 guests in them. And um, yeah, that was not very pleasant at all. However, somehow, I think I must have been going through some serious growth at the time, rapid growth. I was able to keep myself in a state of, I just kind of accepted that things were the way they were. I was going through this whole season of going with the flow of life and just accepting, you know, that things are what they are. And whatever I can change, I change. Whatever I can't change, I accept. And I was, I accepted it very quickly. I barely got angry, I'll be honest. I just kind of like, okay. So mom and I went out the next day and we went and bought a new outfit for the, for the, for the party. And the guests didn't have any souvenirs, but obviously they did not come for the souvenirs, did they? They came to celebrate with our family and with my father. So that was one irritation, but I, but then there were others. There was the woman at the airport who embarrassed me because I was sneaking. Uh, well, I wouldn't call it sneaking because it wasn't illegal to take cooked food. It's not illegal to take food, cooked food. So I was boldly taking my bowl of edikaiko, which is a delicacy, a special Nigerian soup type of soup. And I didn't want to check it in. It was frozen. I didn't want to check it in just in case my luggage went missing again. And I just don't want to imagine what would have happened to that suitcase with all the food going off and everything. So I I had it in my hand luggage and she was looking for something else. (laughs) And the something else was a little palm greasing. 
and she shouted out loud in front of everyone and said, this is Okoroko, which is a type of fish. And she did succeed in embarrassing me, but I just said to her, listen, I have nothing. I don't have any cash to give you nothing. And she let me go. So there was that. There was, um, what else? That was really, you know, I guess really the main irritations were just those minor little things. But somehow, and it may have been because of the atmosphere and the state of mind and the aura that the whole world has been in with regards to the pandemic, my mind managed to filter my entire experience of two years ago, managed to strain away all the good stuff and leave just the bad part for me to meditate on. And that didn't happen until now, you know, February when I was about to go on this trip. So I'm dealing with second strain of the pandemic. And my last memory of Nigeria wasn't very pleasant when in reality it was, but somehow I had just filtered out all the good stuff. And that was why I wanted to spend four days. Lots of uncertainty, just not knowing what I was going to meet there. I had to stay for a minimum of eight days because I needed to uh, do a second, a COVID test on day seven. And then day eight was Monday. I was supposed to leave. Oh, I think Tuesday I was supposed to leave. And I thought, can't do it. Can't leave on Monday. I'll do it on Wednesday because I was having the time of my life. It was wonderful seeing my family and my brother, my older brother just took me to all the fun places and we just had so much fun. And come Wednesday, I thought, can't leave on Wednesday. I'll, 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 I'll go on Saturday instead. So I changed my flight to Saturday. <laughs> I was in church on, on Wednesday and was chatting with a pastor and he says, oh, we've got a program, a women's program on Sunday. Are you going to come? I'm like, well, I'll be out of the country by then. Where are you rushing to? And my brother was like, yeah, where are you rushing to? I thought, where am I rushing? Ah, we'll go on Tuesday. So I changed it to Tuesday. <laughs> and honestly, I literally was just having so much fun. A friend of mine said to me, who she's in a in a relationship and she said, if she didn't have that relationship or if she had her way, she would have turned it into a long distance relationship because she went to Nigeria and didn't want to come back. And I said, well, and I'm telling you between us, if it wasn't for Jason and the boys, hmm, I think I'd be living in Nigeria right now. <laughs> and I know that sounds like the most impractical thing to say, because when you're on holiday, it's a lot of fun. And when you're really living there, it's, it's completely different. But Nonetheless, it was just the most amazing experience. So I'll share some of my experiences and the lessons that I learned as well. I split my time between my parents' home on the mainland and my brothers on the island. Victoria Island is full of eateries, which is the preferred term for restaurants. And the competition for good food is sky high. Because Nigerians are very picky people. They won't hold back from telling you exactly as it is. I can just hear someone saying at a wedding reception, the food no sweet self. <laughs> and packed into that short sentence of the food no sweet literally just means after all the pomp and pageantry, after restricting the invitations to only 300 guests, after all the noise and the Instagram posts and hashtags and the press and everything, the food did not even make the Mac. 
that's what Nigerians say that somehow our language, even when spoken in English, is short but heavily pregnant with sarcasm. For example, I went to get my hair done, went to the hairdressers, and a lizard ran in. Now, I grew up in Nigeria. I grew up in Benin, and lizards are nothing to me. I was also very much a nature-loving child. I spent a lot of time outdoors. I'm not scared of lizards or creepy crawlies or anything like that, but I've lived in London for 30 years, you see, and although I've been back home a number of times, I don't get to see lizards in my everyday life. So, understandably, I was startled. I jumped and I got up just in case it was going to run over my foot. And one of the customers who did not understand the risk that her weight presented as it pertained to COVID said in Yoruba, hmm, all because of the lizard. But she didn't stop there. Because when the staff let the lizard out, a fly came in and my heavyweight sister carried on. And now see, we have a fly in here. Thank you. <laughs> Which is just pure sarcasm. And so one of the things that I noticed about, although that you can't help but notice about Lagos, is the fact that every single building you go into has a sign, uh, a stick, a poster right by the door that says, um, no mask, no entry, but it's not just for show. They actually mean it. They have a security guard at every building, every private or government-owned building, and you will not be allowed in without a mask on and, get this, your temperature being taken, and hand sanitizer. It's just such the norm that you barely even notice it's happening. There's a contactless uh, thermometer everywhere you go. When we went to church before even getting into the car park, they took our temperature, got us to wear our mask. This is while we're still in our car before driving in. Take the temperature of everyone in the car and um, and then you drive in and then you park your car and then you get into the building and they make you, uh, they take your temperature again and they make you use a hand sanitizer and your mask is not allowed to come off even for a second. So that really surprised me because, as I mentioned earlier, part of my apprehension was in how are they dealing with the pandemic. And so because Nigeria has got other challenges and concerns with regards to, and by that I mean the Fulani herdsmen, as well as Boko Haram and just other things, infrastructure and government and NSAS and all of that, you'll find that COVID is the last thing on their minds. And the way that it's being handled is, oh, there's a pandemic. What do we need to do? Put on a mask, check the temperature, have a hand sanitizer um, wherever you go. Okay, let's do that and let's deal with the real issues. That's exactly how it's being dealt with. It's not being um, carried on the heads of the citizens like uh, it's the end of the world. And I'm not you know, decrying uh, us in the UK for being COVID-centric or any other country for that matter. But I, it, you can't help but notice that in Nigeria, because there are other challenges, this is actually the least of their problems. And consequently, it would appear that because 
we don't have all the challenges per se in this side that in this parts of the world we have become covid centric like we've become this is all we talk about i joked with them and said the average person on the street in the uk can tell you how many people died from covid last night because everyone's keeping an eye on it that's all the t- the news talks about you begin your emails with uh, dear sam i hope you're keeping safe in these difficult times and you end with stay safe like it it's it's around you it surrounds you and that's all that you can think about and so getting into a different environment like lagos and seeing that actually life does go on people have not put their lives on hold to deal with the pandemic people are dealing with the pandemic as they are living their lives as they are running their businesses it does challenge you to start to think differently and wonder what else have you left on the table while you were paying attention to other things that did not need your day-to-day attention and so that was one of the first lessons i learned that there is there are there's more than one way to do things there is a way to go through a global crisis like a pandemic uh that's not you know that there's a different way of going through it let me put it that way there's a way to go through it that keeps you being progressive and productive and um just joyful than you know let it put it on your head and letting it run your your everyday life the second lesson i learned was about freedom it was about 6:30 this particular morning and uh i was awake still a bit dark and i switched off the ac in my room and opened the window just to get some fresh morning air and i could hear the sounds of you know the day just starting i could hear birds chirping i could hear cars driving on the road and the occasional beep and the slow build up of traffic you know the the slow build up of cars moving i could also hear the murmur of workers uh, downstairs because we were upstairs i could hear them kind of like at the bottom or below my window and you know it was barely audible didn't hear what they were saying but i heard laughter and the laughter first of all was very soft and as time went on the conversation went on and then the laughter became uh, a little bit louder and it just became like normal voice levels now it's just laughing but that for me was symbolic of freedom because for it just felt like they were laughing <laughs> in a different way from how we laugh over here in england there was just this freedom to laugh out loud at 6:30 a.m. in the morning while they're doing their work and it just sounded so natural yet unusual the laughter was easy it was unbridled it was free flowing and then it'll stop and they'll segue into another conversation and then they'll laugh again and i just kind of thought about our england especially specifically london and you don't just laugh out loud <laughs> unbridled except you're in the pub or in your own home and even then there's got to be a reason and so i found myself beginning to draw comparisons between lagos and london 
Lagos has a freedom in the air that appears absent in London. I cannot, or at least in that moment, I just couldn't imagine someone 6.30, 7 o'clock in the morning on the Victoria line or Central line laughing out loud because they're having a conversation. Okay, I'm sure that people do, but it just seemed absurd to even imagine it in that moment. Another thing about Nigerians is that they pretty much have to build their own ecosystem. They install inverters, buy generators, and sink their own boreholes for water. Ooh, and they even have their own gas. They buy gas cylinders. And so they don't depend on energy suppliers the way that we do. Now, this is an ideal because it means that time and funds needed to amplify productivity or to go towards other ventures is being spent on the most basic of needs. However, what it does show is that we don't have to wait for the government or corporations to make conditions perfect for us. We can just do it ourselves. This freedom and self-reliance allows Nigerians to dream without limits or to dream without permission, if you like. The flip side, of course, means that the lines needed to keep the law or keep the citizens within the boundaries of the law are both thin to the point where sometimes we just don't see it. And it's not that there are no laws. There are laws, but people tend to have the freedom to interpret it as they need, which isn't a good thing. Nigerians are also religious people. Christians, Muslims, pagans. Atheism is unheard of, and even Muslims would say amen to Christian prayers. So in a nutshell, they believe in a supernatural being, someone that can do things beyond what they can see, think, or imagine. And again, it doesn't matter what religion they are, what they believe in, but they do believe there is a supernatural being. So you'll find that they are not deterred by the word no or by circumstances that seem impossible because they all seem to have this connection to the unseen God, again, regardless of religion. The UK, on the other hand, is well-built, well-planned, well-maintained. There's order, there's predictability. Brits moan if the 8.23 train to Victoria arrives at 8.25. Public laughter is measured. The laws are obeyed. And there are safety nets in case you try and fail. And those nets will actually encourage you not to bother trying again because it's safe there. So a lesson I learned is don't blame circumstances for your situation, even if the circumstances seemingly are to blame. Because you see, it's easier to deal with issues when we can point a finger to its source. There is some type of dissonance that occurs when you uh, seem to sabotage your own progress because that's how we interpret it. We have a saying in Nigeria that goes, 
you have used your own hand to do yourself. So to, to explain what that means, a typical example from, I guess, an old folk tale or maybe the average Nollywood movie or the old Nollywood movies, they don't do this so much anymore, would be the wicked stepmother that inserted poison into her stepchild's food, but then her greedy biological child grabs the food and in the process dies. The mother will not be able to come to terms with the reality that she killed her own child. So she used her own hand to kill her child. So that's what it means. And so when we, by our own hands, kill our own dreams, we are reluctant to accept it. And then we'd rather blame the circumstances. Oh, the poison was... uh, you know, left uh, carelessly by the housemaid or, or or she wasn't there to make sure the right child took the right food or whatever. And where that translates for us will be the poison is oversleeping or watching too much television or being blindsided or just plain ignorance, you know, innocent ignorance. Whatever the poison is, we tend to blame the poison as being the cause of the death of our dreams, as opposed to admitting that we administered it ourselves. So if your life isn't at the mercy of external forces, you must take responsibility for the good, the bad, and the ugly. There is a wrong mindset of not accepting accolades and seeing it seeing the non-acceptance of accolades as a sign of humility. And it's a limiting one. It's not a healthy mindset to have because it pays to recognize your own ability and the strength that you have been endowed with. Our successes, we must own them and not shy away from them either. When I think of the manner in which I've shied away from praise especially when I was a bit younger, I cringe. And I still have to remind myself to be silent and listen to what the other party has to say when they're recognizing my work. Because my default reaction is to quickly start talking so I can drown out their words and not hear what they're saying or play down whatever it is they're saying and say, uh, you know, common one with Christians is like, oh, it's God it's always God. I mean, God is in you. So you don't need to say that, but it's God, but you need it. You took action. You did something. So own it when you've done the right thing, when you've worked hard, take responsibility for your success, but also take responsibility when there is failure. Because if you don't, you're giving your circumstances power over your life. And it means that you don't get to decide the trajectory of your life. It means that circumstances decide whether you fall or you rise. I love that Lagosians recognize that things could be better and circumstances could be improved, but they are not waiting. They are digging their boreholes. <laughs> they are providing their own electricity and their own gas one house at a time. I confess that this fact has challenged me because the whole time I was in Lagos, all I saw was opportunity. 
if people are running businesses and making waves despite the uphill battle they face of creating an ecosystem as well, imagine what they'll do if they didn't have that responsibility. And for those of us who run businesses in the diaspora, what are we doing? We don't even have to provide our own electricity or anything like that while running a business. And and we, we have a fairly um, healthy environment. And I say fairly because there is no place like Utopia. And, you know, the UK, for instance, in the United States and Australia, there are challenges that are unique and indigenous to those lands. And I get that. The most glaring is... For me, for example, is being a first-class citizen, being in a country where there are men and women, not black men or black women. I get that. But if anything, it just reinforces the truth that we can't afford to submit to circumstances and call it master. There will always be an imagined better set of circumstances This episode is dedicated to all my entrepreneur friends in Nigeria. You know yourselves. I salute you and I envy your easy access to Suya and Asu. And that's another thing, guys. I ate and I ate and I ate and I ate. (laughs) And on Monday, the 8th of March, please tune into the podcast called Pregnancy Without Fear. I've left the link in the show notes of this episode because I had a fun conversation with Delia Muhammad, who is the host of this fabulous, fabulous podcast. It empowers and helps potential new parents in all aspects of parenting, but she's just got such a diverse range of topics that she discusses. And even if you're not a parent, you will benefit from it. For example, I share my business story which hasn't got that much to do with parenting. And we have a few laughs as well. So don't forget to tune in. Finally, a big ask. Can you share the Living Inside Out podcast with your network, please? If you have found my content to be uplifting or inspiring in any way, why don't you also help another man or another woman by sharing the podcast with them? Also, by writing a review and sharing, you'll be helping to make Living Inside Out more visible. I'm so glad you tuned in to listen. I'll be back on Thursday next week. And until then, keep living from the inside out.